Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, as you know, the Old Testament canon was closed with the book of Malachi, and you have that in Scripture. Now, between Malachi and the book of the Gospel, or the, the book of Mark, Matthew, you're going to find that there's approximately 400 years. What was going on during that period of time? So let's kind of go on a trip and go to Jerusalem right now and see what was happening. During that particular time, there happened to be a very, very wicked king that wanted to take over Jerusalem. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. I know that's a big, long word, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, when he came over, he wanted to take this area and Hellenize. In other words, make it all his own and kind of strip the Jews of their religion. In fact, many commentators will say that it was during this particular time that there really was the opposition against the Jews because of their religion and not just a political thing because they wanted the land. They wanted to destroy their religion. So he started in about oh, 170 or so, 175 B.C. And like anyone who wants to come in, he's hoping that the Jews will just kind of roll over and die and kind of just submit to him. So softly he comes in and tries to woo them. And of course that didn't work because the Jews had a tremendous value system and an understanding of their, quote, religion, their belief system. And they're very proud about it. And we see a lot of that today. They would not change. So then he began to really put the screws on them. So he came in. And there was about 80,000 Jewish people in Jerusalem alone that were slaughtered as he was now taking over Jerusalem. Many other Jews that were not killed, they were then brought into slavery. He wanted to mock them so much because he wanted to take over the, and bring in his own Greek culture, Greek drama, Greek culture, Greek belief system. So in other words, that's called Hellenization of that area. And of course, the Jews didn't want that. And so then that began... To to really cause tremendous amount of opposition with the Jewish people because all this opposition was coming against them. The thing that finally drew them over the line, the Jewish people over the line, to say, we will not put up with this any longer, is not just with the death of their countrymen, but it was when Atticus Epiphanes came into their temple and he then told the Jewish people that they could not celebrate the Sabbath, they could not do circumcision of their boys. They were eight-day-old boys, which was huge against them because those are very important rituals and things that they were doing in their days. It had tremendous amount of meaning, spiritually and practically as well. But that still wasn't the end. Then he knew the final nail in the coffin would be when he would take one of their less thought of animals, which would be a pig, and he took a pig, and at the very center of the place of worship, in the center of the temple, he sacrificed a pig there. Well, they couldn't stand that any longer, so there was a couple of people that really rose up to lead the Jewish people. The last name was Maccabees. Now, again, those of you that maybe have seen a Roman Catholic Bible, you'll see that between the Old Testament Malachi and Matthew, you'll see the books of the Maccabees in there. Well, let me explain. There was a father and there was a son. The father then got the people excited that we need to fight this, we need to stop this. But it was the son who was the military genius. And so he was the one that fought against the Jews and, interestingly enough, was able to push back and basically take over their city again. Now, you could read a whole lot more about that if you would like. And they got their term, Festival of Lights, is because special lights were lit, and they lit, and they didn't burn out for about eight days. And when that happened, they began to think there's something supernatural happening here, and it became the Festival of Lights. So they moved from tabernacles to what we might call the man-made Festival of Lights, and they're moving to a God-made Festival of Passover, the Passover feast that's coming in the Easter period of time. So 
So you're seeing a lot is happening. And Jesus is now speaking into this crowd with all these Jews here that are, watch this now, very strong about their heritage. Remember, it was just recently, within the last couple hundred years, that they fought to gain back some bit of prominence in Jerusalem. And Jesus is there, so he's speaking to that crowd. Which brings us now to verse 24. Here it says, then the Jews gathered around him. Now that's a soft way to say they gathered around him. But actually in the Greek, it was almost like a small mob was coming against him. Like if you've been a place and all kind of circ circulating him and wanting to really verbalize to really kind of get at Jesus. So it's kind of like a mini riot without any stones being thrown yet. So they began to accuse Jesus here and they started saying things say to, to Jesus. They said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Or in other words, go public if you're really going to be the Christ or the Messiah. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. So what he's basically saying, I spoke to you these words, but I also demonstrated with supernatural miracles. You didn't believe what I said. You didn't believe me through the works that I did. You're just not getting this picture. goes a little bit further here in verse 26. He says, but you do not believe. And if you'd like, you can draw a line from verse 25 to 26. Twice he said, you do not believe. But now here he explains why they didn't believe. Because you are not of my sheep. So in other words, what was happening is they were rejecting truth, and when they rejected truth, they will never fully understand. You look at it from the sovereignty of God point of view, and the sovereignty of God says the reason they don't understand is because they're not my sheep. Now how I put those two together, I only can say is the fact that God says once you have revealed truth, if you are his sheep, you will do the believing. Now this is not contradicting scripture because later on the apostle Paul said this, that if if you do not know Christ, and I'm going to quote his scripture, then you are a natural man. If you're a natural man, natural means only of your nature, flesh nature, you will not know the things of God, implying that a person who does not trust Christ as Savior, they might have some information, and maybe, and I put this in quote, accidentally it might be correct because they're polyparroting some other truth that is correct, but that doesn't mean they fully understand it. They do not have the capacity to understand it because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. So what Paul is saying here is basically what Jesus is saying. You don't understand this because you are not my sheep. When you become his sheep, you will. Now let me pause and speak to some of you. When you start sharing your faith with other people, and many of you are, I want to commend you on the way that you do it with a great deal of love, and maybe you're praying silently while you're engaging in that conversation. And you know that the power is going to be in the gospel, so you're quoting some clear, simple verses. You're not overloading them with verses, but the verses regarding salvation, because that's the, that's the sword that the Holy Spirit can use to bring the light into their heart. Should they come to faith in Jesus? You're doing all of that. But then you get a pushback and they start asking you all sorts of questions about the Bible and they start accusing you about this and what about that? We're often tempted to try to answer all those other questions, but let me remind you that unless they really know Christ as Savior, it's going to be hard for them to fully embrace the information you're giving them. They might kind of understand it intellectually, but they will not understand it, the spiritual dynamics of this. And so it would be wise for you to maybe quickly answer those but get them right back to the gospel because that's where the power is for that person to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the Jews right here, they kind of heard that Jesus Christ was claiming to be God but they did not believe that Jesus Christ was God and that was the dilemma. 
Now, he goes into something that many times those of you that are sharing your faith and you help that person understand that it's by faith alone and that person trusts Christ as Savior, the question then comes up, if you trust Christ as Savior by faith alone and it's not by works, what happens if you do something bad afterwards? Does that mean then you lose your salvation? Now, while we'll use that passage, and this is probably one of the most richest passages in the Gospels on the eternal security of the believer, and we're going to unpack that in a moment, I don't want you just to know that fact. I want you to see this truth as it's connected to a bigger truth. The reason we are eternally secure is because Jesus said so, and He's God. It agrees with His inerrant Word of God corporately through all of scripture and more important than that because he is God he's the only one then that can keep us eternally secure it's not about us so yes there's kind of a double message in here he is deity but also there's eternal security but you're eternally secure because he is deity and some people that still have a problem with eternal security it could be watch this now it could be that they haven't truly accepted Christ as savior they could claim that Christ is God But in reality, if they do, then they ought to then fully understand, after they've been taught eternal security, how easy it is to know that you are his sheep and you really do, here it is, hear his voice. And his voice is going to speak loudly through scripture, watch this. And his voice is not going to be a mixed message to those who are hearing. His message is going to not contradict, but it's going to complement one another. And they'll be able to hear that great truth. And if not, then there's still something missing about a rejection of who he is because he is telling us he's the shepherd and we're his sheep. So today, if you're listening to this, whether radio or CD or here, wherever you might be, I want you now to maybe get out your pen because I'd like to explain to you just from this passage alone why he promises us that we can be eternally secure in him when we trust Christ as Savior. I can only imagine what it would be like for the Jews still struggling with Jesus being God. And then he now explains how he is the good shepherd and that if we are his sheep, we'll understand and hear him and follow him. And therefore, when we do, we will be on this side and we will be eternally secure, never to lose that relationship with him. Now, you'd think they'd get it, but they didn't. And we'll see that a little bit later on. So let's kind of look back at this passage again. Look in verse 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. You might circle or mark the word, my sheep. Again, they have to belong to the Lord, and the only way we belong to the Lord is if the Lord owns us or buys us, and that's a whole discussion on the redemption of the believer out of the slave market of sin, and that's a lot of stuff for you right now. But I just want you to know that we become his sheep, that he becomes our Savior, he is our Lord, we belong to him because he paid for us when he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead and he sealed us with his spirit. So we're his sheep. But more than just being his sheep, he says... My sheep, they hear my voice. Now, if you'd like to, look at how many times he refers to those who know Christ as Savior. They really will be able to hear his voice. And let me pause for a moment as I build my case with that. I want to make sure you're understanding. It doesn't mean when you hear his voice that late at night you might hear a voice coming out of some object in your bedroom. It's not going to be you're driving down the highway and you hear a voice. It's not going to be in a beautiful, quiet beach and you hear his voice audibly. But you can be guaranteed that he will speak to you and he'll speak to you loudest and definitely accurately through his word. So that means you will hear him. You will understand his scripture and have the capacity to be able to do that. So you will hear his voice. Look, if you will, in the same chapter to verse 4. It says, 
when he puts, referring to just shepherds, good shepherds, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, the shepherd, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They hear his voice. Drop down to verse 14. Jesus then refers to himself and he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. So they hear his voice. They know who he is. Verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, which means future Gentiles are going to come into faith in him and be a part of the forever family. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. I'm just wondering right now if you're still uncertain about your salvation. It is possible that right now the Lord is speaking to you through the word, not, not just me, but me using the word to you. And the Lord right now is calling you to place your faith alone in him so it will be revealed to you that you are the sheep of his pasture. So he is calling you even into the future, 2,000 years later from when this was written and this event took place. So that's in verse 16. Now, if you will, go to verse 27. So it says, My sheep, they hear my voice. Let's go to the second part of that. It says, Not only do they hear my voice, but I know them. And if you also go to verse 14, it says, And they know me. I know them, and they know me. Now, folks, there could be times in your life where you begin to... What does this verse mean? And why is all this happening to me? And you might have that momentary portion of time of a doubt in your life. That's going to happen to all of us. That doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It certainly doesn't mean that you didn't get saved to start with. We're all going to have those moments of doubt. All you need to do is to look at different people in the Bible that misfired in their Christian life. And you take a snapshot of that life and you'll see that it's a one moment. But that doesn't mean it's the whole video of their life. They'll have that doubt. But I think at the end of the day, you will know that you know that you know that He is your Father. And you begin to go back and Listen to that voice again and he then as your father and shepherd kind of straight off the path and falling down into the crevice and there you are and wondering why is this happening to me? I assure you the Lord says I will never leave you nor forsake you and he's going to come and take you and bring you back to himself. You are the sheep of his pasture. So he says I know them and he knows everything about you. He knows tomorrow, today and he says and they follow me. I love that. And I really believe those who are truly blood-bought, born-again believers in Christ, they will follow the Lord. Now, if you'll go back to the same illustration that he gave about shepherds in the early part, it talks about a shepherd that speaks and the sheep know his voice and they will follow him. Now, that's very important. Listen, this tells me as an illustration that there are times that sheep may wander. That doesn't mean that they cease being the shepherd's sheep. That just means they wander. And then it's when that shepherd who owns those sheep makes that little noise or whatever little noise that he's taught the sheep to know that that's his voice. Those sheep then kind of perk up, look around, turn around, and then they notice that the shepherd begins to move forward, which is important because in our mind, we think shepherds walk behind the sheep when in reality, that's more driving the sheep. It's more of our cattle, old western kind of approach. But real shepherds walk ahead of the sheep looking back over the sheep, watching out. Where's the pasture? Where's the enemies? Where's the wolves out there? And then he sees one wander a little bit. doesn't mean they cease being a sheep. It just means he's got to call them again. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there could be someone listening to this message today that has wandered. And you just kind of stumbled into this maybe on radio or here and you're thinking, and maybe today the Lord is doing his own little reminding you that he is the shepherd and He's calling you away from whatever you might be doing that's wandering you. That's going to take you to an area where there's 
no water, where there's no food, and where there's a lot of enemies that eventually could destroy you. Even a dead sheep is still his sheep. And I pray that wouldn't happen to you because of not hearing the voice by choice and then following him. So I want you to know how important this passage of Scripture really is. Let's go a little bit further to verse 28 and take a moment, if you will, and actually underline this verse because when you share this with someone, you want to point that verse out to them so they can see that. And as you underline this, I want you to kind of mark some things so it kind of comes off the page and they can easily see it with their mind's eye because there are three great promises when he promises us eternal life in this verse. Look again at verse 28. He says here, My sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me, and, that's the connected word, and because of that, here's the promise, I give eternal life to them. So put it number one by that, I give eternal life to them. Now that is rich in truths. When it talks about saying, I give eternal life, when you give someone something, you give it to them, and I hope you have the attitude, I know this is the Lord's, is that we do it, we give it to them, not because they deserve it, it's because we love them. Oftentimes, when we give something to someone, we give them what they actually need, what would be helpful to them. So we give that to them, all right? So that's a gift. With eternal life, the Lord says, I'll pay for it. So Jesus died on the cross. That was his death payment for our sin, rose again from the dead, etc. He did all of that for us. And he says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never pay. It's a gift. Romans says, it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. Now, once that gift comes, we take that gift. Now, how do we receive it? Not by doing good deeds. We receive it according to John's same gospel, John speaking. And he says this. He says, To as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he authority to become children of God to those who believe on his name. So you receive that gift by believing on his name. And his name is Jehovah Yasha, God, deity, who saves person and work of Christ. And I'm trusting in him. It doesn't say believe and behave. It doesn't say behave. It just says believe in Him. So once that happens, that's that gift. He says, I give them eternal life. Now mark the phrase eternal life. It doesn't say life until you sin again. Or He gives you eternal life until you do something that will cause that to be rejected or taken back. It is eternal life. How long is eternal? It's everlasting. How long is everlasting? It's eternal. We call that a circular argument. There's no way to get around it. So number one, he says, I give them eternal life. That alone should seal the deal on knowing that he is the great and the good shepherd that now he says, I seal you as my sheep forever. But it goes further. Number two, he says, and they will never perish. Now there are many different Greek words for the word never. And out of those Greek words, if you put them all together for the word never, it would mean never at any time, at any place, For any reason, whether you're male or female, will you ever perish? So when you see that word never and you put a number two by, you will never perish besides having eternal life, then take your pen and underline the word never, never, ever, never, ever perish. So when someone says, I'll never perish, but if I stop believing, then I lost it. Or if I do such and such, if I commit this, I'll... No, never. There's no qualifier. You will never perish. Again, we don't do anything ourselves to get saved. We cannot do anything to stay saved because Christ, who is God, has all that power to do that, the ability to do that. Go back to the verse. He says here, And they will never perish, and it says, And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Now, you could put the word snatch out of my hand and mark that, but I would rather have you circle the word will. It says here, no one will, meaning that no one by their own outside volition can take you out of salvation or out of God's hand. Go a little bit further in verse 29. It says, my father who has given them to me, so understand that you are part of God's forever family, and it's all because of the Godhead doing this together, God the Father, God the Son, and of course the Spirit sealing you. It says, it says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, again, like verse 28, and no one, but here it changes it. It says no one is able to snatch them out. So no one volitionally or with any amount of power or ability can take you out of God's hand. So when it says no one can do this, that means no one that's external can do this, but it also means none of you can will yourself out of his forever family. There's no one here has the ability then to stop being his child. None of you can stop having eternal life. Now some of you might in your mind think, okay, well I I know that we're all going to exist after we die, so that's what he's talking about, eternal life. The problem with that, and I can understand you'd think that because after death, soul and spirit, they kind of live forever, they exist forever, I understand that. But when you take it through the grid of Scripture, the Lord then chooses to then divide up that He talks about you will live forever. Those would be those who have trusted Christ as Savior. Those who haven't, you will exist forever. That's true. But instead of using the term life, He uses the word separation or death. And so what's happening then is you will die forever and ever and ever. And that's a horrible truth. And that's another message. But keep this in mind. If you will live forever, that means you will die forever, which means you will never be annihilated. Now think of all the cults that are out there that says you either have soul sleep or you have some kind of annihilation or maybe even get a second chance. There is no second chance. It's either eternal life, living forever, or eternal dying forever, separated from God in a horrible place. And what's the key? Whether or not you've received Christ by placing your faith alone in Him. And that starts with, number one, believing that Jesus Christ is God. That's our understanding. God's side of it is, you're part of His family and He's calling you. And today might be the very day so that you could not only receive salvation and thus be eternally secure, but through this scripture now, He's going to give you now the assurance of your salvation. No more doubts. You might have had doubts before and your doubts could have been just born out of pure ignorance that you did not know you are eternally secure. You knew it was by faith and all that, but now you know that you are saved forever. And that's so beautiful, but it's not just that alone. Hold your place here for a moment and go, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1 when it says that no one will and no one has the ability to snatch them out of his hand. You must look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And take a moment and write this reference in the margin next to John chapter 10, verse 28. Because what I'm going to show you now is that since no one will or can take us out of his hand, what is keeping us in his hand? All right, what's keeping us saved? All right, look in verse 3 of First Peter chapter 1. It says, and I love this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, by the way, let's pause, that's the motivation of why he brings us into his family. It's a demonstration of his mercy, has caused us to be born again. We don't cause ourselves to do this. This is a sovereign act of God. To a living hope, not a dead hope. It's not a hope, a hope, a hope. It's this anticipation of joy. I know it's going to happen hope. A living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Christ from the dead. That's another significance of why we celebrate Easter so prominently because of all of this. Verse 4. But it's not just a living hope, but it's also to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, 
That's incredible. An inheritance. Everything that belongs to God belongs to Christ. And everything that Christ has belongs to us because we are in Him and we have that inheritance. But it goes further than that. It's not just an inheritance, but it says, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Let's stop for a moment. We have all heard stories, and I hope the stories we've heard are farther than your family, about people who have received an inheritance and through mismanagement for X reasons, they've squandered that inheritance and it's now gone. They've lost it or they've invested it or they've had it even stolen from them. And so that inheritance that they once received has decreased in value to the point of being eliminated totally. Any one of that in any progression. And when you know people like that, it's a horrible thing when you kind of wake up and you smell the coffee and it's gone and you're counting on that. The beauty of it all is that we have an eternal God that gives us an eternal life and we become eternal people that have an eternal inheritance. And this passage is the promise that we have from God with that. Let's go a little bit further. It says we'll never fade away, won't devalue. But it doesn't stop there. It says reserved in heaven for you, which I'm excited about because that means that it's already waiting for me, which again, it's another promise of eternal life, eternal security to the believer. It's already there waiting for me. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.